Welcome back to the Boundary Corner Podcast. I'm Curtis Wilson. I'm Brian Siegler. Buddy, Wednesday night. We back. We back. It's hump day. It doesn't feel like fall outside. <laughs> we we not flipped. yet. No, we we we're, we're clipping the nineties this week for whatever reason. We went from like it's the, what is this? This is false fall, right? The, the eight seasons of Virginia weather. Oh yeah, we're currently in false fall. We got like the week of the North Carolina game was fall perfect, like seventy nine degrees during the day. What low seventies, mid sixties during the game. Like yep. cool. No nineties, hot, brutal. Weather not summer as, as one last roar here before it goes quietly into the into the night. There it needs to go. I'm 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 done with summer. The pool's pretty much closed. Um, the kids are in school. I mean, it's I mean, once I get back from vacation, kind of like late July after after my anniversary, I'm kind of like, all right, y'all can keep the rest of the summer. Let's bring on fall. Yeah, I mean, thankfully, thankfully, we have a podcast and we follow football, so August kind of goes by pretty quick for us. August flies by when you're on a podcast, and once August hits in every facet, it's it flies by. And the next thing you know, we are going to blink in maybe seven to ten days. It is going to be eighty degrees for a high, no humidity. The nights are going to be perfect. Get the fire pit out. Um, but as of right now, for the rest of this week here in the RVA, and I believe throughout most greater Virginia, yeah, we're sticking in the mid eighties. Looks like we get some low eighties starting next week. So fingers crossed, fingers crossed she shows up. I'm definitely ready for a fire pit and outdoor movie nights. And we're we're still about 10 or 15 degrees away from that. We are definitely that. So folks, before we get into deep topic. Welcome to Hate Week 1.0. The battle for the Black Diamond Trophy is upon us. It has been four years since we played the West Virginia Mountaineers back in 2017 up at FedEx. Yep. I think it's bull that they got the first home game in this series. They'll be coming to Lane next year. But before we get deep diving into that, we do have a few things we want to take a look at first. And let's start kind of around the ACC, Brian. Um, Earlier this week, announced Phil Dracovich, the quarterback up out of BC, is now done for the year. I'm going to go ahead and say it. This pretty much flips my prediction of that from a win or loss to a win. Um just not knowing who the backup is as of yet. And, you know, he was that guy. If he took the step, he was going to get them to be the, you know, second to fourth best team. And now he's gone. What about you? I'm kind of right there with you. I I think that this was a game that playing in hostile environment and just the skill level that BC was showing, they were starting to kind of climb that mountain a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, not having that quarterback is going to be a big deal. I feel like this goes from a kind of a lean BC to at least a toss up for us, right? Um, I think it's now lean tech. I mean, because if I you could saw, go there, I could I could definitely go I there. But I, I'm I'm trying to be a little conservative here. I don't want to to discount what BC's doing here, but and I think in terms of getting the ball down the field, uh, they're going to struggle a little bit. 
the question is going to be, can they replace that with uh, uh, what seems to be a little bit of an improved defense uh, and a somewhat improved running game? So uh, yeah. we shall see. Yeah, the backup is Dennis Grossel. Um, he did play some last year for BC. Uh, let me see if I can get his statistical numbers up here. He played last year to the tune of 54 com- attempts, 37 completions, 68%, 568. So six touchdowns, three interceptions. So not terrible um, for last year. He obviously played in some in last week's game against UMass as I feel went down. You know, again, time will see. But to me, you don't go from a guy like Djokovic to the backup. It's Halfley's going to have his work cut out for him. And maybe the way you can say it's a toss-up for you now is now they have six weeks to get prepared for us or to find the groove of what we're going to do while we don't, you know, while we we don't know what beholds for us yet. True. Although at the same time, we've got tape on their backup quarterback, which if this happened the week before, we don't exactly know what type of game plan they're going to have for them. At this point, by the time we see them, we'll know what they like to do with Grossel and and can uh, prepare for it on defense. Very, very, very true. All right. Next is going to look at Georgia Tech. Jeff Sims. Went out against Northern Illinois, did not play against Kennesaw State. Yates, the backup, took over. And for me, um, actually, what's your thoughts on this so far, Brian, with Sims out? Haven't heard much if he's going to play this week against Clemson. Um, so yeah, what do you think uh, Georgia Tech? I mean, that's that's a that's a struggling situation that's you know, adding insult to injury there, right? Um, you know, Jeff Sims is probably the – most consistent element of that team last year and losing him week one, not having him week two, haven't heard a whole lot about his availability this week. That definitely, definitely limits their ceiling. And it was a ceiling that was, you know, bouncing <laughs> around already. Right. Um, so, you know, it, it, it's going to depend on how long he's out in terms of what Georgia Tech's able to do over the coming weeks. Um, is he out another three to four weeks or is he out just another one or two? Well, regardless if he's out just one or two or if he's back this week against Clemson, for them, those first two games against Northern Illinois and Kennesaw State were going to be his in-game developmental games where he can get on the field, they can try plays, they can see what he's seen. Because now this is the way their schedule looks up until Virginia Tech, okay? You ready? Clemson, North Carolina, Pitt, they then have Duke, <laughs> then UVA, then us. See you, John. <laughs> we see you, John. So it's like they're not coming in to playing lesser opponents to get him time to, again, get that in-game development, get his feet back from under. It's like go play Clemson, then go play North Carolina, then play Pitt. You're yep. playing one elite team, one good team, one solid team. You finally get Duke, and then you get UVA before you get Tech. So those first two games, as we used to see it in the past, building confidence, finding plays you know work with the guy, and that's gone. So it's going to be interesting if he does come back, You know, is he automatically back or is Yates the guy? Yeah. 
And I mean, it seems like, like, like we said, in terms of, of, of where that ceiling is, you feel like Jeff Sims probably gets them higher, but much higher. You know, they've been able to work, um, work the backup in there for the last couple of weeks. They're probably going to have them again this week. Oh. It may be just a, but there's no riding the hot hand, right? <laughs> no, there's no, because <laughs> there's, there's not a hot hand. There isn't. I mean, the, the, and it's also the level Sims is a legit, he's an elite athlete that yeah. to me with the way Georgia tech is right now, he has to be out there. He's going to give him the best chance to win. So it's just going to be interesting if he does come back against Clemson a against that defense with really kind of going to be your first true game. I mean, that's going to get ugly. I mean, and, and we'll talk about that line a little bit later and what I'd be willing to lay. All right, Brian. Even though this isn't ACC news, it's college football news. To me, it has a potential big trickle down for Virginia Tech and for the East Coast in general. Clay Hilton gets fired Monday after losing to Stanford by essentially getting blown out by a Stanford team that did not look like it could play the previous week against Kansas State. Yeah. Um, and every name under your mother's popping up: Urban Meyer, Jack Del Rio, Eric Bieniemy. Um, uh, Tony Elliott's name got thrown out there, but the one that got said again, and we've heard it in the past, James Franklin. Yeah, and uh, I, mean, I know Dan Patrick made the uh, announcement this morning that there is mutual interest between the two parties. I don't know what what degree that means that you know Franklin is the you know leader in the clubhouse in terms of what they want at uh, at Southern Cal. Um, but it's going to be interesting, especially from the trickle down, because, you know, in the last, you know, Mac's been, been coming across the border into, into the seven, five, seven, the last two to three years, but James Franklin has been dipping his, uh, his toes down in Virginia for the last eight or nine. Um, yeah. and it's been, you know, especially at the skill positions, um, we've seen running backs, uh, in particular, uh, taking their talents up to Penn state. So. It would be nice to uh, to see him go if for no other reason that you know more than likely the next guy in uh, probably at, le- at least is going to take a year or two to get uh, get his legs under him before um, the recruiting starts to uptick again. Well, the question is, can Penn State grab another elite recruiter like James Franklin? They had Bill O'Brien before that. You had Joe Pye for all the years before that. Franklin was an elite recruiter. He is a good coach. Some of his in-game decisions can be questioned here and there, but he put Vanderbilt in the top 25. Um, and you're right. Two 11-win seasons at Penn State. So two 11 wins. I mean, a Big Ten title, Rose Bowl. I mean, a bunch of different stuff. He has been coming down. And he's not just been coming down to 7-5. It's been all over Virginia grabbing the talent. Yep. The biggest differential between him and Mac is – Max going particularly to one area. Yes, he did get the yes, he did get Jennings out of here in the RBA. But Max also 68 years old. And the thing with Mac right now, and I mean they have a big game this weekend. They've already lost Virginia Tech. And now it's, you know, you, you already saw the didn't Jennings tweet something after the game like, what? Like, yeah, dude, like UNC doesn't hold a candle when it comes to tech. Penn State, it's just been tough because it's almost like when Franklin got his hands and his claws into a recruit, we couldn't get it back. 
We'd be on yep. a good track with somebody. You hear, oh, good, we, this is great. We're probably going to land him. He comes in, makes a visit, gets the claws, takes them back. Now, I'm going to say this, and this is me being a college football fan. If you are James Franklin and you want to win a national title, your best bet is to go to USC. Penn State, he has been stacking essentially top 12 classes. I know they have the number two class right now in the country, I believe, or yep. number one. I think that'll change as, you know, the biggest dogs get the highest in talent over the next five months. Yep. But USC has the potential to stack top five classes on top of each other. And it is a national brand. So he still could come to Virginia and attempt to get talent. You could go anywhere and attempt to get talent. So he also doesn't have to leave his state. He also doesn't have to really leave his uh, his city true. to recruit in California. It's very true. I mean, the, the the amount of talent just in you know an hour and a half of the campus is incredible. It's true. It's it's a crazy amount. That's true, John. He can't get over the Ohio State. He can't get over the Ohio State hump, and the reason he can't get Ohio State hump, Ohio State is stacking top five classes on each other. Yep. You know, he's got the one win. He's competed with them. So, um, you know, I think it's the move after the season, unless he, you know, does something crazy and wins a national title. That's the only way I can't see him leaving. Yeah, I don't think they're quite there yet. I, I think mm-hmm. they're, they're they're a good team this year, although they are catching Ohio State is probably as weak as they've been in a while. True. But you also now have a wounded Ohio State, and usually when Ohio State gets wounded is when they play their best. Also, you know, they, they put two – they put, you know, a somewhat of a duck out there um, and then kind of played one half down to an opponent before putting them away. So, yeah. It's true, man. All right. Next, we are going to turn to Hokies news and notes. And on Saturday night, we maybe we shouldn't have said it, Brian, but it was said. Looks like James Mitchell's okay. The news comes down earlier this week. James out with a knee injury. Rest of the season will have surgery. Yeah. Um, is an absolute gut shot. Big time. Big time gut shot. And you know, let, let's talk about the announcement first because I'm not sure what went down uh, with that. Whether it was a miscommunication or or what was going on, whether you know, in terms of his uh, his well being and whether he was going to be good to go. Because it sounded like post game they thought he was going to be good to go f- to at least get some practice in and then play uh, against West Virginia. And then we got you know, not just different news, but in the complete right. opposite direction, right? Um, so, so, so that's a little disappointing. I'm not sure where the disconnect in, in the information channel was there. Um, but let's, let's not focus on that. Let's focus on the player and, you know, we, we talk about him being a talent, him being versatile, but the, the one thing I think we're going to miss the most is the on-field leadership yep. um, that he brought to the table. Um, he was kind of a calming effect, but also that leader that, you know, when he barked, people listen. Yep. It's very true. And now the question is, who amongst the offensive skill players steps up into that role? Because on the line, you've obviously got Brock and Leticus, who they bark, everybody listens. Um, So who is among that skill set? Does Burmeister step up into the type role? Is it Trey Turner? 
Um, is it someone else? We don't quite know yet, but that's got to happen. It's got to have the calming effect because, you know, we, we joke about the governor. That's what he was. It was one of those, everybody listened to him. We're going to miss so much though. The leadership, the versatility, I mean, his run blocking, which looked even better than it did last year. Um, and you know, so now, but we've got to turn the page, you know, we've got to turn the page. And we've got to look, and and I don't hate saying this. This was one position that if the top guy went down, we're probably going to be okay. Your your ceiling falls, but the floor is still pretty high, right? Yes. Um, so I think that's a good thing for that position because there's other positions that, you know, when, when the ceiling goes down. The floor we goes almost, out. We, we almost go to the floor too, so right. Um, but having Nick Gallo and Drake DeLulis, uh as as kind of the backup there, um, that's going to be big because they've not only had some a lot of game game reps at this point. Yes, they have. Um, but you, you know, you also have a little bit of a kind of two guys that can together do some of the things that James Mitchell did as one person, right? So we talked about his Very versatility, true. but uh, you know, Nick better. A little bit better in the blocking game and in red zone touches, whereas Drake's a little bit better in the open field on some of those throwback screens and, and things like that. So a little more athletic, uh, little, yeah. little little more fluid. Um, I'm interested to see Gallo though because I think Gallo is going to get more snaps. I think if Gallo has any, if he has seventy percent of what James Mitchell had, if it shows, it needs to show quick. Because he's essentially, because James is so good at what he does, Gallo, in a way, has been sort of pigeonholed into that role, would you say? Like, you're, you're, our, you're, our, you're our blocking tight end. You're not going to go out on routes. We're not going to send you up the scene. Not all the time. Has he caught some balls? Yes. But now yeah. it's almost going to be, you're 1A. What can you do? Yeah, I mean, if, if you've got that, that tight end one route set, you're giving that to Mitchell every time, right? So Absolutely. You know, we'll we'll see if Gallo can step into that role and do and do a little bit with that. But uh, when we talk about uh, third tight end, um, <laughs> and we actually have John here talking about third tight end. Uh, well, I, you know, we're going Connor Blumrick here. Actually, you know, Q, Q, QB three becomes. Uh, tight end three. three. Yes. And Chris Coleman said it, and I think a lot of people were thinking it. But Coleman from TSL said it. Me and you had bounced it off each other via text uh, at some point in time when the James Mitchell news was announced. But luckily, Connor got in and got some live touches. I don't know how good his hands are. Um, you know, there were reports that he had some sort of similar role to an H-back type role at A&M yeah. for some games. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he's 6'5", he's 220 pounds. He's definitely not going to – you're not going to look at inline blocking, but he's definitely could be a joker tight end or run an H-back out of the backfield. I think if, if there is a creative part of our offensive mind, it has to come alive now. Yeah. Well, because – because of James's versatility, it was really hard to replace that. But I feel like you can, by committee, do all the things that you were doing before. Um, you just have to do it with different personnel, right? Yeah. Um, 
Williams. And I think Connor helps add to that um, just because of his, his overall athleticism and, and his uh, top end speed there. Um, Cause you could, you know, again, we haven't seen his hands, what that looks like yet. We've seen him uh, with the ball in his hand running. Um, looks good doing that. It's very um, good. And in, Let's let's talk about what I mean when I say we don't know what his hands look like. Like if he's got a if he has a step or two on somebody and you throw him the ball, I think he's going to catch the ball. For throwing a throwback screen, you know when he's open it, you know no traffic or anything like that, he's going to catch those. Uh, what I what I'm more concerned about is he going to catch, you know that seam with a guy on his back shoulder. Is he going to catch um, that ball that's kind of thrown high in the end zone where he has to go up yeah. and get it and win that battle? Those are the those are the catches that I'm concerned about because we don't know what that looks like yet. But you know, if you get this guy the ball in space, I have no no question that he can do some damage. Oh no, no, not at all. I mean, just look at him in the way he ran, especially on that 30 yard run when he gets the ball and he has a crease, he can get going. Yeah. Um, and obviously, we saw even I think even what made you feel even better was running that goal line package that he ran. He took some contact. He took some hits. So you almost feel like, okay, he's not going to shy away from contact. That's yep. kind of his role now. It's like go in there and, you know, bust it open. Um, but other than him, I mean, really, he's the option. Yeah. He's the option. I think we're going to – I mean, potentially we're going to see more three-wide sets. Hopefully, in Brian's eyes, we see more dual running back sets to change the pace up a little bit. But we'll do that, and like we said, we've talked about with getting Blumberg on the field. I mean, that creates some mismatches there as well. So, we'll uh, create there's definitely some creative. Go ahead. Definitely some creative, uh, you know, things we can do personnel wise to, to to really keep defenses on their toes, despite not having James Mitchell in there. It's just kind of you know, is 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 our coordinator, is our our offensive coaching staff going to take advantage of that? Yeah. The other thing about you talk about mismatches, also the possibility of a trick play. We know the guy has been a quarterback, yep. so I hate to say this. I'm not hate to say this, but I like saying this. You get down inside the 10 and you decide to run a little sweep with him and you do that behind the quarterback, if everybody syncs up, there's going to be somebody open and can he get the ball there? And then the next thing you know, the lanes are opening up because now someone, hey, stay with the guy. Yeah, tossed it over there one time. He might think, do it. Thinking again. a little little jet sweep pass. A little jet sweep pass. That'd be something interesting to see. Let's see <laughs> if it happens. All right, let's go, on, Brian. We, we did this last week. We looked at some snap counts. We're going to look at them again. Shout out Evan Watkins over at two four seven for putting this up. But we're going to start with the linebacking core because I think Brian, that is where we are feeling really good. Seeing how many guys got snaps. So. Tisdale and Hollyfield, obviously, 52 and yep. 46 snaps, respectively. But we go down a little bit, and both Ferguson and Keyshawn Artis, both with 25 snaps. That's a lot. That That's a big number, and I will say looking at the tape and looking at everything, uh, Keyshawn Artis played a really good game, those snaps that he got in there. Um, almost had a pick one time, stuck his nose in there, got a couple tackles. Um, just really overall a good game for him showed that uh, really him and uh, Dean Ferguson in there, there wasn't a, a ton of drop off from the first line to the second line. Um, Cause those guys got in there when uh, uh, middle Tennessee still had their starters in the game. So yeah, uh, good job for both of them. And 
good job overall from the linebacking core. I feel like everybody had a had a really good game overall. Um, nothing splashy, but I don't really need splashy from from the linebackers. The way this defense is designed, I just need them to be where they need to be and make the tackle. Exactly, it's the way the defense is designed. Do your job; it's going to be fine. But them getting that much, I think now. Again, it was Middle Tennessee State. It was a G5 school. But I think now maybe in the back of Justin Hamilton's mind, if I want to give Dax and Tiz a full breather for three to five plays, um, I think what happens is he's not afraid now. I put these out there. I put the right coverages in. They're going to do their jobs. I'm not worried about liabilities. Yeah. Because it's showing that they can do it. A um, couple other ones before we look at wide receiver, Brian. Um, Cole Nelson, 12 reps, snaps. Wilford Panay, 14. Jalen Griffin, 17, keeping up with his normal. C.J. McCray with 20. Um, I like that. We, we had talked about him possibly getting some uh, extra reps this week, and then it came to fruition. Um, and the number says that he's kind of that – Almost working into that 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 same number with that second line, right? Yeah, I mean he got more than Griffin. Yeah, um, you know, and he definitely got. Let me see if I can find it here. And he got more than Eli Adams. Um, by the way, Miss Stretch Carroll fourteen. They all got some play, but the McCray thing does stand out, Brian. Twenty. Twenty yeah. is a big number when you know you're looking at the top guys, Barno and Garbutt with forty four and thirty seven respectively. So and they they probably overall played a little bit more than we probably wanted them to. Yes, uh, but I, I like that we were able to get a true three three deep line rotating a defensive end. Yes, uh, that's a, that's a good sign. Um, another good sign is getting some of the freshmen that we need. Probably going to need more in late October and November than we need them right now. But getting them reps now is going to pay off once that time comes. Um, so again, the key is going to be keep guys healthy, keep them as fresh as possible, and hopefully get some of the younger guys enough reps where they can give us meaningful snaps and meaningful games. Absolutely. All right. Next, we want to look at the wide receiver, see how that's starting to shake out. Um, no shot. Tavion Robinson leading the way with 50 snaps. Trey Turner with 45. Caleb Smith with 44. Um, and then Jaden Payute got 17 snaps, so quite a few for him. Lofton with nine, Jalen Jones with six. Um, I'm going to start here, and I said it Saturday night, and I'll say it again on Wednesday night. If Lofton and Jones are showing that much, you have to get on them on the field more than essentially one series. Yep. You have they to. It's it's starting to get infuriating. Like if they're showing if if you're talking them up and you're not giving them playing time, then don't talk them up because clearly yeah. you don't have any meaning to get them on the field. Yeah, and it's disappointing seeing them. Essentially, I think uh, if I'm not mistaken, Lofton was used um, one series before kind of garbage time. Um, you know, pay you got a little bit more run, but I still yeah. would have liked to see him get more snaps and. You know, unfortunately, from a, just a target standpoint, we're still not getting the targets in the passing game that we need to. Um, nope. A lot, a lot of even a lot of our calls are ending up either, um, you know, throws out of bounds or 
um, scrambles. Uh, we're, we're not getting actually a whole lot of passes that are actually getting to the point they need to get to. Uh, and that, that's disappointing at this point. Um, you know, we talked about it a little bit on, on Saturday night, and I'm just going to reiterate it here. We've got to get more consistent in our passing game. We've got to get better separation at the wide receiver position. And Braxton needs to take a little bit more risk with the football than he is right now. I don't want turnovers. I don't want to go back to Ryan Willis, but <laughs> I need you to push the ball a little bit more right now because we're we're not good enough to wait for that wide open man. Sometimes you gotta you gotta put the ball and take a calculated risk. True. And we're gonna discuss that a little more and when we get into the thank you, Tally. Um Um we're gonna get a little bit more into that with the gamma version of what we're looking for in the Hokies um a little later on in the program, Brian. Um, so now guys, before we get into, you know, the enemy working at West Virginia tonight, battle for the black diamond trophy, we are going to take a quick pause for a message from our digital partners. If you haven't heard about anchor by Spotify, it's the easiest way to make a podcast all in one place. They have tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. When hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast on listening platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. It's everything you need to make a podcast. And best of all, Anchor is totally free. So download the Anchor app on Apple or Android or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's A-N-C-H-O-R rfm Now back to the good part. All right, Brian. So we're going to get in here. And we're going to start with the West Virginia Mountaineers offense and knowing the enemy. And, Brian, I want to start tonight by looking at West Virginia's running backs and the offensive line. And when we look at the running backs, we've got to look at Letty Brown, 5'11", 216. He was a three-star coming out of high school, um, but a three-star with offers from Bama and University of Florida. So he obviously had caught the eye of some – um, pretty high-end elite teams. When you see offers like that, okay, was it real? Was it not real? It's reported. They at least had enough interest to where it gained it on 247. Now, last year, hell of a season. Um, 1,010 rushing yards, about 5.1 a carry, another 202 with 31 receptions, um, 11 touchdowns last year. You know, as far as the receiving goes, um, kind of on the same pace for it this year. What are you seeing out of Letty Brown on the tape? Um, he's above average runner. Um, really is good between the tackles. They run a lot of inside zone. They run that very well. Um, so he's gonna he's gonna do a good job in that. Uh, making kind of getting to the second level, making a guy miss and stretching you know five yard gain into a twelve or thirteen yard gain. Uh, but to me, he's a bigger threat in the passing game just because they use him um, really extensively, both in the screen game. They swing him out. They'll put him in motion and get the ball to him in space. Uh, they do a lot of good things with him. Uh, I don't see him break a ton of big plays in the passing game, but he is the guy that can kind of move the sticks for them with kind of uh, you know that little dash here, dash there, eight or ten yards, scoot to the first down. Um so that that's what they really bring to the table, but their offensive line is kind of what, what keeps that going. Um, they do a good job on the inside zone, uh, do a good job uh, with the combos inside uh, getting to the next level. 
giving Letty Brown some room to kind of operate and make guys miss in space there. Um, we obviously know that uh, one of our own, uh, Doug Nestor, is now playing guard for the Mountaineers. Um, yes, he is. They've had some, it's had some good classes um, at the, uh, the offensive line position over the last kind of two or three cycles there. Uh, adding in uh, Doug just kind of helps that. Um, so they're they're a pretty good unit. Um, they're not as great in pass pro as they are running the ball. Um, they'll they'll allow some sacks, and that's um, you know compounded a little bit by uh, by their quarterback and how he 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 kind of operates. But uh, overall, it's going to be you know a little bit of a struggle for us. But I, I think our defensive line is up to the task for it. Um, how's Nestor actually looked? I mean, it, do this. It, would Doug Nestor be absolutely starting somewhere on our line, or would it be rotational? I, I mean, he'd definitely be starting for us this year. Okay. Um, but but at the same time, I don't necessarily see a different Doug Nestor in West Virginia than I saw in 2020 okay. for the Hokies. Um, he's a guy that will go out there and get a good pancake, good pulling, good to get into the next level, but has some lapses here and there. Um, and sometimes that can uh, – you know, have the have the quarterback on his back. Sometimes that's just you know, miscommunication at the line of scrimmage and that blows up a running play. So still up and down sometimes in terms of uh, consistency. Uh, but he when he when he plays well, he's a uh, he's a handful. I got it. The offensive line, you know, statistically, you know, they're putting up some points and everything. They have given up five sacks in two games. That's against Maryland. And that's obviously against Long Island University, um, a FCS opponent who two years ago didn't win a game. Um, And they've given up about nine tackles for loss against both of those teams. So one of those things to keep an eye on, I'm going to drop a stat on you a little bit later when we wrap up everything, Brian, that I think is going to shock you a little bit about, um, about that and us. But let's move on, Brian, and let's take a look at the wide receiver rooms. And, Brian, you talked about twins when we were talking a little bit earlier today, and let's talk about these twins. Sam James, 5'11", 183, a three-star, offers uh, went to what offers from Mississippi State and Georgia Tech. Um, really not really a productive year. Um, you know, very productive in 2019, not really productive last year, only 31 receptions for 300 yards, 9.7 a catch, two touchdowns. The other guy, Sean Ryan, the bigger body guy, 6'3", 198, three-star also, actually came as a portal transfer over from Temple. Um, again, not great stats in 2020, 25 for 269, no touchdowns. So from these two guys, I know you wanted to talk about them together. What are you seeing on the tape when we see these guys lined up near each other? So a lot of what we're seeing is um, they'll, they'll run, they'll put them both on the same side of the formation. Um, they run a lot of knife route concepts. So they're running uh, one of them either on a slant uh, or, or some sort of inside uh, play within the other ones running a corner. They're trying to get, uh, either the outside guy or the inside guy to get rubbed uh, so they can get kind of a free release. Um, They've had a lot of success against Maryland doing that, um, especially in the first half. Uh, Maryland kind of adjusted to it in the second half, went a lot more zone concepts, and that took away a little bit of that. Um, They were still able to get some completions, but they weren't able to kind of bust them for, you know, big plays over the middle or big plays down the sideline. 
but uh sam james is a little bit more of the athlete um but sean ryan is is the guy that he doesn't get a ton of ton of catches but when he does they usually go for pretty big yardage um he's had two plays over 30 yards uh in two games so far not a ton of catches but he's doing something with it every time he gets his hand on the ball um james is definitely more of the kind of the, the steady eddie the consistent guy but he he is a, a big play threat as well because of his uh his speed so both of those are guys to watch the other person i will mention in this wide receiver core um is winston wright jr and i know we've seen the highlights a lot of those are going to be um he's, he's going to do some good things in the passing game for them but primarily he is a weapon in the special teams Absolutely, um, pump, pump returner and kick returner had uh two big kick returns uh against maryland uh did muff a punt though so um that, that that resulted in a turnover so that's something to watch as well but if he gets his hands on the ball he can be a threat so we got to make sure that we're we're doing well in our coverage uh on both uh kick return or kickoff and on uh on punt Yep, Rowan needs to get it through the back of the end zone, Brian, because it's not a – this isn't a one-trick pony with Winston Wright, the 5'9", 183 star. Um, his career, he's returned 33 kickoffs for 925 yards. He's almost averaging 30 yards every time he takes one out of the end zone, which is – that's that's an obscene number, in my opinion, in today's age. Um, he's ran two back to the house. We obviously saw one – already this year, one that was close. Um, we haven't seen him as much in the – we hadn't, didn't see him a lot in the Maryland game. But last year, I mean, he can he can definitely hold his own as far as, you know, being a receiver, being a threat. 47 receptions last year for 553 yards, one touch. So I'm kind of seeing maybe with that, maybe a little more gadgety with his size and his speed. Um and, you know, but Romo's got to send it. Don't let that man touch the ball any. Um, as far as our punter goes, Peter Moore. Peter Moore, keep doing what you're doing. Because if you have not been booming them, letting the covers team get there, you have been putting good angles on them. I think Peter Moore, I mean, this is going a bit more in the Hokies talk, as a freshman, he is a true five-star punter. Because he's coming in and doing exactly what you expect somebody that's done the job for three years like Bradburn had done. Yeah, yeah, he's done a good job so far. I mean, the only thing you got to worry about with the punt is, you know, make sure that there's enough air time if you do boom it so you're not out kicking the coverage there. Exactly. All right, let's turn it. Let's look at the quarterback. Jared Dodge was a three-star, transferred from Daggy. Daggy. Dodge, Dozen, Dookie Hauser, MD, Daigie, um, three star, 6'2", 208. He was a transfer portal guy from Bowling Green. Um, back in 2018, had a really good season with Bowling Green, 27 touchdowns, 14 interceptions. Um, and last year, solid season with West Virginia, you know, 63%, 63% completion percentage, 2,500-plus yards, 14 touchdowns, four interceptions. Um, obviously his brother played, Seth played down at Texas Tech. So Brian, um, what are you seeing from, not Seth, Jared, wrong doogie. What, what are you seeing from him on tape? Uh, he's not a great athlete, but he is good enough to scramble and get a first down here or there. So 
Uh, we were not preparing for any sort of mobile quarterback, uh, but he does have a little bit of a twitch. He does have a, a, a good feel of when to take off and get the first down if he needs to. Um, he does really well with the clean pocket, delivers an accurate ball. Um, but when the pocket gets a little bit muddled, um, he, that's when he struggles. He's thrown a couple picks that I've seen, um, you know, early in this year already when, uh, when the pocket gets crowded there, he gets contacted. So it's going to be interesting to see, um, what we do. We, we definitely need to get pressure on him, um, though some of their some of their scheme with that power power raid is 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 what it's kind of called there uh combining the the power run with the air raid um he does a good job running that and they they mix in some rpo elements uh, a lot of inside zone and counter um and then you know they throw the ball uh, off play action with it and i think the play action is where we play action and rpo is where we could potentially get burned um i think if we just line up um we're going to hold the hold the zone in check and i think we'll hold just the the, the five step drop in check but we need to make sure that that we're not out of position when you, when we get some run action or that rpo going i hear that something else i want to make a point on brian because you pulled up a couple clips and showed me a couple days ago and not necessarily a clean pocket but he doesn't really have it, his pocket mobility is bad like I remember there was one play you, you we showed, and I'm like, Brian, why isn't he just like – all he had to do was kind of a couple steps left. He could have reset his feet and fired. Instead, like the guy's coming, it's like, oh, God, throw. And he did that numerous times. So I think for us it's it's not only keeping the pocket clean, but just making the noise of being there because he clearly does not have the capability to – you just didn't see him step up. You didn't see him slide left or slide right. Um, as much as we want to knock Braxton, we've seen him slide left, slide right. We've seen him slide up in the pocket and then take off and run. Jared doesn't do that. And, you know, the one thing that I've been looking at, Brian, is this. All right. So we're not even going to look at LIU, right? But a little earlier, he's given up 14 either sacks or tackles for loss, plays in the backfield. Maryland in two games has a combined 15. Okay. One of those games was against Howard, and they blew the doors off of them. You care to guess how many Virginia Tech has between sacks and tackles for loss in two games? 22? 27. Okay. Nine sacks, 18 tackles for loss. So when I'm starting to look at this and just – like his comparative analysis is saying, well, the one team that they play with division one talent only has 15 for the year. They're not doing a whole lot. You're about to bring essentially a much better defensive line who is getting into the backfield and bringing people down, not even counting quarterback hits or pressures. So when I'm thinking about Jared and his a kind of his immobility, unless he absolutely has to, or his bad pocket awareness, I have a feeling that that line's going to get eight all day um, or eight a lot of the day, or Derry's going to be taking some absolute hits as he's letting go of the ball. Yeah, I think that's the thing we definitely have to do. We've got to be able to get pressure with four like we did against UNC. Um 
you know they're they're going to run that RPO a little bit. So we I think we can bring a similar type um, type game plan to the table um, to try to slow these guys down. Um, the the question is going to be can we consistently get home with the uh, with the defense uh, with the defensive line, especially just bringing four. Um, I'd I'd like us to be less vanilla this week, obviously, compared to what we did last week. Um, make some better more be. stunts. Make some more stunts, some of the uh, the zone blitz, some of the delay blitz. Um, but I don't think we need to blitz a lot. I want to consistently mm-hmm. get pressure with four and make sure that we're we got the coverage going in the back end and we keep the run in, in, in check because if we can keep the run in check, then – Again, like we did against UNC, we make that offense one-dimensional. It's a whole lot easier to stop. Absolutely. All right, now that we close down the offense and giving you some names and things to look for, let's flip it over to the defense, Brian. The wonderful three-three-five stack. Um, and let, let's start taking a look. I, I want to give the guy's name and the position – but I want you to explain what it is before you get into too deep. So, actually, so let's do this first. Vidarius Cowan, 6'4", 245. He plays the bandit position. He's yep. a four-star transfer from Alabama. This guy was a top 100 player just a few years ago in the country. Um, he only had about eight games prior to this season between Alabama and West Virginia, 14 tackles. Five and a half tackles for loss, three sacks, one forced fumble. So not a lot of production in just a few games there. Um, but before you get into what you're seeing on him, what exactly does that bandit position do for West Virginia? So let, let's start with with the actual defense, and I can kind of break down what the bandit does. So the defense is really a multiple front three four base. Um, so they run the they'll run the three four alignment they'll have a three three stack alignment they'll have a uh, a four two alignment um so you're going to see various uh fronts um but their base is kind of a hybrid three four uh and and what vandarius cowan's position is is the bandit uh which is a hybrid three four edge uh meaning that you know if they're if their front is the four two he's either a stand up or a hand in the dirt defensive end um, if it is the three, four base, he's more of a traditional edge rusher, um, outside linebacker. Um, he will be kind of the, uh, the backer, uh, if we're translating it to hokey speak here, he'd be the backer in the four, two alignment. Um, so there's a lot of things that he can do, um, in this, in this alignment. Um, but he's really the hybrid player up front that enables them to kind of have that multiple front and not really skip a beat. All right. What have you seen from him on tape? I mean, is he, is he disruptive? Is he better in coverage? Is he better playing more of the true backer in position in the four two? He's versatile, but he's, he's much better when he's attacking forward than he is in coverage. Okay. Um, so even if he is at that linebacker in the three, three, he's at the linebacker. If he's in the four, two, he's on the edge. Um, he, he likes to attack at the line of scrimmage and get tackles for loss. That's, that's, that's his bread and butter, but he does pretty good. Uh, especially when he's, he has to do limited things in coverage, like cover the flat. Um, 
he does that very well. He's got enough athleticism to stick with a tight end in that space and stick with a running back in that space. Um, gets a little, um, you know, not, not 100% great when it's not zone, when it's, when he's locked up deeper down the, uh, the field in a man situation, but he doesn't have to do that a ton with the way they kind of scheme for him. Got it. All right. Now let's take a look at Scotty Young, who plays the spear position. 5'10", 207 pounds, a three-star. He was an Arizona Wildcat transfer, so West Coast to East Coast. Very good 2019 because he had to sit out 2020 with the transfer. 2019, 66 tackles, two and a half tackles for loss, and an interception. Um, I guess explain the spear first and then what you've seen from Scotty on tape. Uh, Spear, the best way to think of it is very similar to the whip and what the whip used to be. Um, you're talking about a hybrid safety linebacker, um, that likes to play in the box. So depending on what, what front they're going is going to vary whether he's playing more of a nickel type role, a safety type role, or a true in the box linebacker type role. Um, but those two positions, the bandit and the spear combined is kind of what, what allows them to, to go those multiple fronts because they can kind of switch the alignments up and really not miss a beat. So you got to have versatile players at those two positions. And Scotty Young is a versatile player. Um, definitely a guy that likes to hit, um, makes good plays in the running game. Uh, probably a little stronger in the running game than he is in coverage, uh, similar to, to Cowan. But he's not a liability in coverage, but he will get beat on occasion. Uh, but but definitely uh, in the run game, he's, the, he's kind of the spill guy. He's the guy that... that you know, when they wash it outside, he comes in and cleans it up. All right. Tape, you know, you know, is the tape average, above average? Would you want to I mean, he, he, He's an above average player. Um, okay. Yeah. He, he's definitely an above average player. Um, right. Like I said, he'll, he will, he will occasionally get beat in coverage, um, but n- not any more than, you know, Chamari Connor does, but he, he's kind of not quite the hitter that Chamari is, but definitely is good in terms of tackling and, and, and coming up and making the play like he is. All right. So we've kind of looked at a defensive lineman slash linebacker. We've kind of looked at a safety slash linebacker. Let's look at the two safeties because me and you took some time and looked on tape with these two guys. And if there's anywhere I think we can attack, it's with these two gentlemen. Let's start with the free safety, Sean Mahomes, 5'11", 200 pounds. Um, Three-star, had offers from UK and Cincinnati when he came out. His 2020 season, 53 tackles, two tackles for loss and an interception. But, Brian, when we looked at the tape, it was either good and solid or yeah, Yeah, very very feast or famine. Um, He had – you know, a couple good plays where he he was right where he needed to be in coverage, went up, made the play, and then there was uh, there was one play where he was in a cover two, lost leverage, just had a had a big clean run for a touchdown for uh, one of the Maryland receivers on a corner route that probably should have only been a twenty 15. or twenty five yard gain, not a you know fifty yard touchdown. <laughs> yeah. So uh, it's really uh, very much both of these safeties are kind of feast or famine. They make solid plays they come up make big plays good good fits in the running game and then you know they'll have a handful of plays a game where you're just scratching your head like how did you let that happen yeah 
you know, with with the way and we're going to talk about the other Alonzo Adon in just a second, but with the play that you show with Mahone and a couple other plays, it's he's essentially it's not significantly out of position, but if a the right play is called and he's where he is on some of those, it's 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 a massive gain. It, it was a, it was a situational thing. It was very much a he he misread the situation, didn't get enough depth, wasn't where he needed to be in relationship to the hash, and that gave too much of a of a window to throw the ball towards the sideline. Yep. All right, let's talk about Alonzo Adai, 5'10", 196. 2020, really good season, 66 tackles, uh, two interceptions and a forced fumble. Um, I, I don't. I feel like you looked at his plays more than me. I, I remember the Mahomes plays. What do we see out of Adai in the good and the bad? So the the good is that he is a very willing tack, tackle. He will get up in there in the box um, and and make plays in the running game. Uh, the problem I saw was some inconsistency with his run fits. Uh, a couple times, kind of getting, kind of approaching the box, but then kind of getting caught in the wash and not getting uh, to the fit to make the play. Was he was that that running play we looked at where he essentially followed the linebacker versus going to the correct gap? That's correct. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly and, what and, and there, and there was a, there was a couple other plays that were similar to that, but that 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 one definitely stood out. Well, um, when we looked, if, at if that, he was a little I, bit more patient with where, especially considering where the gaps were opening in the blocking scheme, if he was a little bit more patient, he would have been able to make the play there and make the tackle, even if it was only for you know five to eight yard gain. Turned out to be about a twenty five or or thirty yard gain on that running play, if I'm not mistaken. Um, right. so just to you know, the difference between doing the fundamental things right. Yeah, and and when you we saw that play, Brian, I had the flashbacks to UNC because it looked like how we looked against UNC in twenty twenty, where guys were just in the wrong spots, massive gaps opening. Um, and again, you kind of pointed it out. It's like he's got to hesitate, and yep. I think it goes back to what you said. He's willing to look for contact. And sometimes with guys like that, you see it. They're looking for the contact versus the hesitation and finding where to go. And well, in that case, it looked like he trusted his instincts and not his eyes. And his eyes told him something completely different than his instincts told him. Um, and and sometimes instincts are big, but it, it, some guys play with instincts, and that's good if their if their instincts are consistent. But Sometimes when they're not, you're gonna you have yourself out of position on these plays, and that can that can create some big gains if if things aren't flush across the uh, the front six or seven there. Very true. All right, so that's gonna close. Know the enemy on the defensive side of the ball, as we did last week. We have a hokey version. This is the hokey gamma version. We've seen alpha, we've seen beta. We are at gamma. And Brian, we're gonna start with the offense. Watching the Maryland tape. <laughs> yep. A, it made you happy because I think you know these are in our arsenal. What do we need to do? <laughs> Run the damn screens. Run the damn screens. Multiple we, we should be able to screen and short pass this team all day. Um, I, I know we're, we're talking about we want to get more things involved in the in the passing game. The best way to get things involved in the passing game is give Braxton some easy reads early in the game, just like you did against UNC, and get his ass comfortable. Yep, and get them to guys who can make things happen. 
Blackshear, Trey, Tay. Um, don't be afraid to give Caleb Smith a chance. Don't be afraid to give uh, potentially Keyshawn King. Some of the screens that were set up in the Maryland game, I mean, it, it, the way their defense, their defense looks so unprepared for it. Yeah, they ran a tunnel that went for big yards. They ran a tight end throwback that went for big yards. They ran a running back screen that went for pretty good yardage. A um, couple flares that went that went for pretty decent yardage. So we'll be able to do some short passing game things against this defense. We need to be consistent with it, and we need to pepper it in early to get Braxton comfortable with the game plan. Absolutely. Now, the second part of this puzzle is something we saw one time versus Middle Tennessee State, and it was the jet sweep game. Sitting with Brian Tuesday after, afternoon. Yeah, Tuesday afternoon. Yeah. Yep. And he's showing me some of the plays, and the motions completely screwed their – essentially their second level up. We yep. saw it. We already talked about a die making mistakes. When you give them the window dressing and are moving players – they are going to the wrong gaps. If for nothing else, even if we only hand the ball off three times on a jet sweep, giving that motion is going to give space to our running game on the inside. Right, Brian? Yeah. You know, we talk about the jet sweep all the time. Uh, Love it or hate it. We've seen, we've seen that it's an efficient play. I know that James Mitchell got hurt on the jet sweep, so we're not going to talk about that. Uh, but what we need to talk about is that consistently we've done good things with the jet sweep. It helps open up avenues and alleys to run in our offense. Um, it does a good job of kind of getting outside of the box with the ball quickly. Um, as long as we can get that alley blocked properly, it's a pretty good play. Uh, we've had a lot of success in the red zone. I think this these linebackers and – the, uh, the spear in particular can be influenced by the window dressing that we like to use. So I'm hoping that we take advantage of that with the jet sweep and some other motion that we run. But Brian, what, what has to happen with our quarterback? Uh, he's going to have to pull the damn trigger on some mid-level passes. I, I, you know, I don't know if we'll necessarily need to take the ball deep down the field a lot mm-hmm. against this team. Um, and especially without James Mitchell, I don't see us attacking deep down the middle of the field against this team consistently. Uh, But what I would like to see is us working the mid-level passing game inside the numbers and inside the hashes to keep them honest so we can still have that short passing game to get outside the hashes and the numbers um, to take advantage of their weakness. Yeah, and and we've always known how risk-adverse they want our quarterbacks to be, and – and and luckily for when they said it, he, he talked about, you know, we, we, we value protecting the ball, but sometimes you've got to throw the ball. I enjoyed hearing him say that because we think it as fans, yeah, it's cool to protect the ball, but sometimes you've got to throw it. And when your head coach is saying that, it's almost like a trigger, right? It should be a trigger for Braxton Burmeister. Protect it. Don't throw anything stupid by all means. Yeah. But as you said a little earlier, Brian, you can't wait for it to come completely open. You have to anticipate – that when Trey runs a 10-yard in, he's going to get the 10-yard in. He's going to beat his guy, put it where he can run with it. That's your job. Yeah. I, I would much rather Braxton Burmeister take a calculated risk with the ball while the pocket is still clean 
then go on the run and try to get rid of it as someone's bearing down on him um, in a scramble drill, right? Yeah. I I would much rather a clean pocket where he can step into the throw and it's a calculated risk where more than likely it's either a catch or an incompletion, right? True. And we've we've had a relatively clean pocket. We've only given up two sacks in two games. Yeah. And there's been And some of that is Braxton being elusive and getting out, but, I mean, some of it is just – we hold the pocket for long enough for him to at least get rid of the ball or get the ball downfield, right? And and it's not going. All right, Brian. We've got, we've got to actually get the ball downfield to the receiver on time within the framework of the play call. Yep. We it can't just be top 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 of the drop. It's not there. All right. So now I'm gonna scramble a little bit, roll outside and and try to get rid of it downfield to Caleb Smith trying to get open or James yeah. Mitchell trying to get up. Like it, it's, we can get some big plays that way at some point, but we've got to be consistent with the passing game. Cause they're just, they're just looking for, uh, for those things that we're, we're being inconsistent with because they're taking it away in the first couple seconds. And then Braxton's just going away from it. Yep. Very true. All right. One last piece we're looking for this week is, Someone, whether it be Trey Turner, Tavion Robinson, Raheem Blackshear, somebody has to get an all 100 yards all purpose. Yep. Against this defense and what we have seen on the tape and how they reacted against Maryland, I'd like one. I think there's a potential for two if we execute our game plan at the highest level. Um, and, I, and we have the guys who can do it. It's just get them the ball. Yeah. I think I think probably Blackshear and uh, Tay Robinson are probably the most likely candidates for this, although the, the wild card being Trey with, with any sort of you know jet sweep that he takes for big yardage that he can occasionally yep. do. So yep. I'd like to see one of those three uh, go over 100, hopefully two of them. Two of them would mean big, big things. All right, Brian, let's look at the defense real quick. Um, And let's talk about that secondary. You already talked about the way they like to run the pick plays. What what do we have to do this week against them? Read, react, make sure that we're we're passing off our our men properly so we don't have any big gaps uh, for them to throw – big windows, I should say, for them to throw the ball into. Um, We probably won't go man a lot especially when they send those two wide receivers to the same side uh, just because of of the way they like to run um, those knife routes uh, to that side. But again, be sound, keep everything in front of you, make the tackle. All right. And something we've alluded to earlier already, another big piece of the gamma version for the defense is going to be get Jared Doge off the spot. We've already talked about how he's not a runner, and we've also discussed looking at the tape that he's not very good at moving around in the pocket. So if you move him and get him without setting his feet, it's the it's it's what you do in college. You make some bad decisions. Yeah, and we're going to have to do a better job than we did against uh, Bailey Hockman last week of doing that. I think we can definitely pull that off. Uh, we saw that Middle Tennessee was running a lot of – a lot of help 
to to kind of keep some of that in, in check there. Um, I don't think that West Virginia will keep as many in to kind of keep that protection there. We need to get consistent pressure with four, though, um, to kind of keep everything in check. And if we can do that and we can get Diggy throwing either before he's ready or making an ill-advised throw in traffic, that's going to bode well for us. It absolutely is, Brian. And, again, when you see when we saw a couple of his picks, they were ugly picks. It wasn't like it was a beautiful, um, a beautiful thing. Cam Cobb hitting us up tonight. Think it's similar to us versus UNC. We cannot let them score early. Um, right now, the way the offense is playing, I absolutely 100% agree with that. Um, yep. If we get down, we have not seen our offense hit a gear where it can pop off 14 or 21 points in the in the course of one quarter. Um, Brian, let's go to the last piece here. And I want you to say it for the people in the back. Brian, you have said we have to be gap sound. So what do gap you want to sound? Say? Gap sound. Uh, we also need good safety run fits. Always good safety run fits. And we've seen it pretty consistently uh, the first two games, right? We safety have. play has been really good, especially in the run game and the short pass game. We need more of that because they will test us. Yep. And the good news about that, even more so, um, looks like Keonta Jenkins probably going to be a full go. Um, if not, Tay Daly did a very good job in um, his absence last week. Yeah. So, you know, but we've got to do that. We've got to make sure they can't run the ball. Because if they can't run the ball, um, it bodes better for us. All right, Brian, we've got some thoughts from the Teradon, some listener predictions. We've got a couple out here tonight. So before we give our predictions, let's hear theirs. 34-24, Virginia Tech. We need the orange. J.J. Singleton, score's going to be 31-17, Hokies. And we're going to have two passing touchdowns. Ooh, two passing touchdowns. All right, J.J. All right. All right. JJ's got us throwing for two passing touchdowns. That's going to be, that sounds like that'll be a pretty good game for, uh, for Braxton there. If he, if he can pull that off, get two passing touchdowns, hopefully get over 250 yards uh, through the air. That'd be nice to see. Um, and uh, Tally always wants the orange. So respect that. <laughs> all the orange, bring all, all the, the orange. orange, all the orange. Also protecting a win there. What do you say? 38, 17. Yeah. Big blowout. Big blowout. All right, Brian. Well, it's our turn now, man. Um, you want me to do the honors? Yeah, go ahead. All right. Uh, I think that we're going to go into Morgantown with a little bit of fire under our ass. We're going to come out. We're going to score first. Uh, we're going to lean on our defense. Uh, we're going to be opportunistic with putting points on the board. We're going to be balanced despite uh, not really putting the ball down the field very much. We're going to work them in the short passing game, work them in the screen game. Um, I think it's a good game on both sides of the ball, even if it's not stand out on the offense. I think we end up 27-24 Virginia Tech. All right, Brian goes 27-24 VT. And now it's my turn. Just a few weeks ago, 
I predicted this game as a loss in our season preview. Predicted Carolina as a win. And as of right now, I'm not coming off of it. We have not shown enough in the passing game to go into a hostile environment and beat a team that does have some weapons, that can score some touchdowns. They lost to Maryland by six points. They turned the ball over four-plus times. I don't think they're going to turn it over four-plus times against us. I think they're going to be a little more conservative with it. But I think us going there with some holes in our offense and a loud crowd that it's been 15 years since we played there. It is a nasty place to play. We know it is, Brian. Friends that oh, went yeah. there, things happen. They'll, th- they'll throw liquor at you. They'll burn couches. All sorts of crap. So I think, throw liquor bottles that don't have liquor in them. Sometimes they have urine in them. Shout out uh, Dwight Vick. Um, yep. <laughs> Batteries, full beer cans. Yeah. But I think it's going to be a closely contested game. And I'm going to go, unfortunately, I'm going to say 28-27 West Virginia. Oh. The Uno. That's a tough one. The, it's going to be a heartbreaker. Um so you predicted us having having one last possession and just can't get it in field goal range. Is that kind of what you're what you're seeing, or um, or is it or is it a late a late touchdown to to make it make it close? I don't think it'll be. I think it's going to be one of those. We get the ball later in the game. We can't convert anything. They get the ball and eventually the deep. It's going to be the old Hokies from our youth. We're going to do. We're going to have opportunities to do big things on offense. We're going to screw it up. We're going to wear out our defense, and eventually in the fourth quarter, they're going to get the lead, and we're not going to be able to call back. Now, if you ask me would I put my mortgage payment on this, no, because I do think we have the talent. And if you want to know how how we do it, is we it's going to be similar to UNC, as Cam said. We jump early. If you tell me we are up 14 – after the first 20 minutes, then I think we're going to win the game. Yeah, but, I, don't, I don't foresee us getting into some yeah. sort of shootout with this team. No, I, if it's a shootout, I don't. We, we, to me, we have no chance. But if we get up early and can do exactly what we did against UNC and start leaning, slowing down their run, and forcing Doji into bad throws, then we have a chance. But this is also going to be a hostile environment. They're going to be screaming their freaking lungs out at us the second we touch the field. So you're not going to have that sense of calm to get down the field. You know, listen, I'm hoping I'm sitting here in about uh, how many hours is it? 72 hours, Brian? <laughs> listen, you've got to be a realist. I'm a realist. If you if you if you think we're going to win every single game, go to Vegas. Put it put. Put all of your savings that we're going to go twelve and zero. Yeah, I've already predicted nine and three. Yeah, we, we, we definitely will bring the realness here. We're not we're not going to sugarcoat it. Um, you know, Brian, Brian, first game of the year said we were going to lose to UNC. He yeah. was happier in hell to come on here Friday night. With I people. love being wrong when I when I pick against the Huskies. That's my favorite time. I love being wrong too, and I hope I'm wrong on this one. I really hope that. By about 1.30, I can sit back and just put my feet up because we've blown the boards <laughs> off. I'm just like, well, this ain't a game anymore. I'm really glad I'm wrong. So I'm hoping about 72 hours from now 
I get to sit here and say I was wrong, and it's the happiest I am when I'm wrong. All right, Brian. There are a lot of other games this weekend in our Saturday Pick'ems. And, Brian, believe it or not, we and you balled last weekend. Brian was six and four, got his record to 500, 11 and 11. I went seven and three and went from three and nine to 10 and 12 in one felt swoop weekend. So, um, and I think the games we put together, the only game we lost was we got Ohio State, we got the Iowa game right. We picked four games exactly the same when we were three and one. Yeah. So when we agree, you might want to take some of that to the bank. Yeah, if we agree, take it, take it to Vegas. Uh, if you, you know, if you, if you want to go follow my picks, uh, you might as well just flip a coin at this point. <laughs> <laughs> I'm 500 on the nose through two weeks. So we'll see how that uh, builds over the rest of the year. But you want to get into this first one, buddy? Let's go to it, man. Since you are leading, you have the honor, sir. We look at Friday night, Louisville versus UCF. UCF lane seven points. Yeah, I'm still not a believer in this Louisville team. Um, I feel like the pieces that they've lost just have not been been replaced at this point. I think UCF is kind of they're a good team, and I think they can they can probably get them. I think that's going to be UCF probably by ten. So I'll take UCF in this one. Yeah, I, I'm I'm actually with you on this one. Um, after the way Louisville looked against Ole Miss, and then last week. You know, they played um, Eastern Kentucky, you know, the Colonels out there. They only won 30-3, to and it was a similar game to what Virginia Tech looked like. They were only up 20-3 to at halftime. So not a – like not a overly dominant and impressive game against an even lower level of competition than the Hokies. So I'm with you. Give me UCF, um, lay the seven. I think it might be uglier than the 10 you're talking about, Brian. I think Scott Satterfield officially gets on the hot seat um, in just a few put days. Him, putting him on the seat. Putting him on the put seat. On the like seat. That. All right. Let's go down Miami, Michigan State. Miami laying six and a half. I'll start with this one, Brian. Um, I think Miami gets back on track this week. Okay. I think, you know – with what Michigan State likes to do, Michigan State out of the gate very good against Northwestern. Northwestern every year, you don't know what they are until about week six. Yep. Because sometimes they'll come, you know, a couple years ago they lost to Duke and they ended up winning nine games and it was just like, how is this the same team? So I'm going to take Miami in this game. I don't think six and a half is enough for Michigan State. I see this as a 10-point game, probably 31-21. Miami pulling away late. Yeah, I'm actually right there with you, buddy. Um, I think this is this is the perfect game for Miami to get right because it's good of enough competition that they are going to get be focused going into it. But at the same time, talent wise, top to bottom, they have more talent, and I think yeah. they finally play up to that level of talent this week and get it done against Michigan State. Absolutely. All right, Brian, roll up into the next one here. Temple, BC, BC land 16. Temple. And it, and it's solely because the quarterback and it's solely because 
Temple uh, seems to play up to better competition when they get some of these matchups uh, of late in the last few years. So I'm, I'm going to pick Temple here. Um, I would say that, but not in this case. Temple's got their doors blown off by Rutgers just a couple weeks ago. Um, and last week they played Akron, and that game was tight at halftime. They pulled away late. So I'm going to – even with a different quarterback – I think BC is going to blow the doors off Temple. Not enough tape yet to understand what they're doing. So give me BC, lay the 16 on that. Yeah, Temple is my upset alert in the ACC this week. So. True upset. Ooh. Yeah. yeah. Brian feeling good about that. All right, Brian. This is – I don't know how we're going to pick this game, and I've got to leave it, unfortunately. <laughs> Florida State versus Wake Forest. Wake Forest is laying five and a half. Part of my brain looks at Notre Dame game versus Florida State and thinking even though it's not as good a Notre Dame team as it's been the last few years, they're still a good team. If that team shows up, they're going to beat Wake by 14 points. The other part of my brain turns on, this is what it says. Did you see the Jacksonville State game? Hey, Curtis, did you see the Jacksonville State game? (laughs) And especially, they didn't fire him. But any defensive coordinator who chooses to run like a cover one, the last play of the game, when the, the opponent's near midfield, I don't know what you're worth your weight in. Shit, not even that. near midfield. They were in like the 32 or some shit. No, they were at the 40. They were at the 40. They were at the place where you don't still play a cover one. I don't give a shit if they were at the 20. Seriously, you're not going to put at least three to four guys back at the 10-yard line? Well, you put all your deep guys deep, but then you drop everybody else kind of at that level where they can make the play if he gets past past the past the 50, right? They can make the play before they get in the field goal range. I mean, it was six seconds. Uh, that's going to have to be a quick-ass route to get 25 yards in six seconds, right? True. It couldn't have happened. If you put four to five guys back at the 10-yard line, they win the game. I'm going to go here. I think Florida State's going to win this game. Um, I think Florida State is going to win this game. So give me the points. Um, give me the points in Florida State. Ugh. Yeah, I'm going to take Wake. <laughs> Jacksonville State broke me. Um, I, I'm not picking the Seminoles until they prove me wrong in the other direction. All right, all right, Brian. Little <laughs> Tennessee State. I'm not. I don't think. Uh, I don't know about that. I don't know about that one. All right, Brian. Georgia Tech. Clemson. It would be closer than if if they showed up the way they showed up last week. It'd be closer than the experts would say. It would be closer than the expert. They wouldn't cover the twenty and a half. I'll say that right now. Hell no. All right, Brian. Georgia Tech. Clemson. You ready for the line? Yeah. Clemson is laying twenty eight and a half points. Yeah, that's telling me that. Uh, Jeff Sims is not playing in this game, and I will trust it. Give me Clemson. Um, Clemson, legal limit. I think <laughs> – well, remember the game last year, 73-7. Um, Dabo got to beat up on a lesser opponent last week. They are going to 
beat the shit out of Georgia Tech. I mean, I think I'm seeing this game something like 56-14. Okay. Like, like, like beat the dog. I mean, Georgia that's, Tech. That, that's about that's about where I see it too. I think they okay. could they could definitely take it to, you know, five five scores, 30, 35 right. points. All right. With the next one we got here, Brian, is we've got Duke, and we've got Northwestern. This is in Durham. Duke is laying. Or Duke is getting three points, so North, Northwestern lane points. Um, and this is just such a weird game because we saw Northwestern. They lost to Michigan State. You know, Michigan State kind of kept them at arm's length. They get Indiana State the next week. You expect, okay, they're going to blow the doors off. 24-6. It wasn't ugly. Duke, on the other hand, went down to Charlotte. An, uh, an uprising Charlotte team basically had that game one lost in the end barely. We saw the way they start against North Carolina A and T, and it looks like they're going to lose another one. And then they come back in the second quarter and beyond and just blow the doors off A and T. Yeah. So these two teams, I have no clue what they are. They had I have no clue. And when I have no clue, I start going to, you know, history. The last few years have been rough for Duke. The last few years, Northwestern had a good year, then they had a bad year, then last year they had a really good year. I think Northwestern wins this game by a touchdown, so I will lay the three points with Northwestern. Uh, give me Duke and the points, um, and I, I don't like it at all. <laughs> but I just I don't know what to expect from these two teams, and I will go, you know, ACC this way. I'll say, hey, we need we need to finally get one. <laughs> you need to we finally haven't had a ton. We haven't had a ton of luck in the non-conference against uh, Power Five opponents this year so far. So let's try to go out there and get one. Very true. Just had to update a line, Brian. Uh, UVA UNC was at nine a few hours ago. It is now at eight. So UNC laying eight points. What do you got in the UVA UNC game in Chapel Hill? Uh, this is make or break for UNC's hopes of of winning the coastal, right? It is. You can't you can't fall behind UVA and Virginia Tech by by a half game, a, a heads up game, um, in the in the coastal this early. You can't have two conference losses in your schedule this early. I think UNC is focused. I think they come out quick, and I think it's a tight game. But I think. I think UNC covers. I think it's a 10 point, 10 point game. I think, I think UVA is just, they haven't been tested yet. And I think that UNC's focus is going to be where it needs to be. All right. I'm sure like me, you're around Saturday morning, hanging around the house, having a cup of coffee, maybe eating some uh, pop tarts for breakfast. And that game was played against Illinois. The way Brennan Armstrong was throwing those outside passes, it, they were ducks. They were ducks. I hope he is still throwing those in Scott Stadium come Thanksgiving weekend. If he if they do that game plan and they try to attack the outsides, I think he's throwing at least two, maybe three interceptions. Yeah. We just haven't – like you just said it. We haven't seen UVA play any quality competition. We saw right now, we saw UNC, you know, big win last week. And we saw them against us, against 
what we're seeing right now is a very good Virginia Tech defense. Um, only Bo Corrales is out, so they're starting to get healthier. And, and I'm sort of teetering between is this going to be a 10-point game or is this going to look a little uglier on paper? I think okay. either way, I think UNC can cover eight points in this game. Um, and it's one of those games, it's, a, it's like a win-win-lose-lose. You wish they both could lose. <laughs> I mean, Wouldn't that be nice? That'd be nice. But either way, we're going to well, be Well, if they happy. all get enough COVID, then it'll happen because the ACC says if you have to cancel because of COVID, teams. We're going to go down to LabCorp tomorrow and get <laughs> like Everybody has COVID. They both have to lose. Um, now, I think the way I say it's the win-win is if, if UNC wins, they're effectively out of the coastal picture. Um, if, you know, if UVA loses, you know, and, and it's the manner I think it's going to happen, I think effectively they get put to bed is, okay, those first two games were just smoke and mirrors. So that's the feel on that, Brian. Yeah, All they right. really haven't been tested by a good offense yet. I think that's the thing is that the yeah. defense hasn't been stress tested yet. The defense um, hasn't been stress tested to put the pressure on the offense to actually have to do something. Exactly. With, uh, not playing loose. All right, Brian, we're going here to my pretty big ranked games at the end here. We're going to start with Auburn Penn State in Happy Valley. It is going to be a whiteout on Saturday night. Penn State's laying six. Um, Penn State already battle-tested with the Wisconsin game, where to me they still should have lost. I do think Auburn's got a good defense, but I think Auburn's going to get a shell shock. Auburn has literally played no one this year. No one. And unfortunately for them, they have to go on the road to a super hostile environment, and it's to a place they normally don't go. And this is where my piece comes why I don't like neutral site games. Because when you have to go to a out-of-conference team you don't normally play, everything's different, right, Brian? Yep. Oh, well, they play at Alabama. It's 100,000 people there. They A lot of those kids go to Alabama multiple times in their careers. They know where they're going to stay. They know the meals they're going to eat. They know what the locker rooms look like. They know how the fields feel. They know where the noise comes from. They know where the fans are and where their fans are. They're going into a stadium they've never been in. They're going further up north. Give me a check on what state college weather going to be on Saturday night, temperature-wise. Just just interested. What time's kick? 7.30. It's night game. It's going to be about 75 in Grizzly. All right. So they're not getting any sort of chilly fall weather early. But either way, we look at it. I think Penn State wins this game um, because I think – do you really want to get tested in an environment like that for the first time this year? No, that's definitely not the environment you want to go into um, with your first big test. Um, it's it's gonna definitely be loud. Uh, whiteout is always loud, uh, about as loud as Penn State gets in the season. Um, I, I, I'm with you on this one. I've got Penn State. I don't think it's by 
a ton over um, the spread there. Uh, I think it's I think it's another probably about about a ten point game. I think kind of in the end, Penn State holds on. I think Auburn out of the gate is shell shocked by the atmosphere and the talent of Penn State, but they kind of they their defense settles in and they kind of make a little bit of a run late, but it's too late. Absolutely. All right, Brian. Where we're going next? Going to be the Pac-12 after dark game, but not all Pac-12 future. Big 12 member BYU versus Arizona State. Arizona State laying three and a half. Um, we watched some BYU last week, and we hit a little bit of the Arizona State game, Brian. So what are you thinking for this one? I think this is going to be kind of a letdown game for BYU. I think they're still going to kind of be riding the high of last week. And I think Zona is just going to kind of wear them down. Um, over time in that game. So give me Zona State in the points. All right. Brian's going to take Zona State. I'm going to go with the not so fast here. I think coming off that victory versus Utah, first time they won that game in nine years, I think the elation, I think they're going to stay in the, their heads are going to be in the clouds. Do they win? I, I, I wouldn't pick this one on a money line. I think they're pretty evenly matched teams. You've got a really good quarterback in Jaden Daniels at Arizona State. But I think this one is going to come down to the wire. So when I think of a game being like that, I've got to take the points. Um, just to, you know, hope the home field, I think, gives Arizona that little bit in the end. And it's like a 31-30 game. Zona okay. State wins. BYU covers. Okay. All right, Brian. Last one, buddy. Last one. The big one, though, in yep. the small three thirty eight B or in CBS on Saturday. I'm gonna go make sure this line has not changed because it is a big line already. Make sure we can get points one way or the other. But Alabama, it did go down in the last little while here. Alabama is a fourteen and a half point favorite over Florida in the swamp. The three thirty afternoon. Um, well, you let the last one shit. Um, <laughs> it, it's such a tough thing because we know Alabama's talented and we know Nick Saban is absolutely wonderful at creating game plans with the month. So I don't know if what we saw against Miami is the true Alabama because Saban's so good when you give him a month, he's going to dissect you in every single way. Yep. If you give him time, he will eat you alive. He will. It's why the playoffs, you know, he's destroyed teams on that first weekend. But 14 and a half is so many points to lay against a home team, against the raucous crowd, against an athletic quarterback. Do I think Florida wins? I don't think Florida wins. But I think it's going to be a more competitive game than two touchdowns. So I will take Florida and take the points. Okay. I'm right there with you, buddy. Wow, we agree I'm right on there with you. Yeah, um, I, I like Bama to win this, but I don't like it 14 and a half points. Um, I think they're going into the swamp. It's going to be a rocking atmosphere. Um, I think that's going to be, I don't think that's going to intimidate 
Alabama, but I think Florida is going to be kind of feed off that energy and, and really play kind of above their ability against Alabama, at least for three quarters. Yeah. Uh, I, I could see that being a close game until, until the fourth quarter, but I don't think they put three scores distance between them. I think it's going to be mm-hmm. either somewhere between 10, 10 to the, the two touches. Yeah. Um, so probably, probably just a, just enough to, for, for, for Florida to hang on to the cover there. Yeah, over-under is 59-and-a-half on that game. So Vegas is seeing that game as almost like a um, almost like a 35. 35-21. 35-21, yeah, 38-21, somewhere in that neighborhood, which is really unusual. So, yep. Brian, has anything broke since we have been on here for the last hour and 33 minutes? I haven't seen anything cross my timeline, buddy. All right. Well, that is going to wrap up this episode of the Boundary Corner Podcast, listeners. I'm Curtis Wilson. I'm Brian Siegler. Visit our website at boundarycornervt.com to listen to all of our episodes. While you're there, don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Subscribe on YouTube and your favorite podcast source, including Spotify, Amazon, and Apple Podcasts. As always, we let our buddy Jason Long play us in, play us out. Catch him on Spotify and Apple Music. We thank you for listening. And as always, let's go. Okies.